Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Duffy. You counted right. <laughs> Five traders for the price of four tonight. <laughs> tonight on pass. Stocks hit record highs, and Phil Camporelli of JP Morgan says now is the time to put on your bull suit. We'll explain why. Plus, earnings season about to kick into high gear, and the top technician says there are three names you need to buy right now. He'll tell us what they are. And we start off with the market at record highs. The Dow cruising through 27,000 for the first time ever as Wall Street waits for its highly anticipated rate cut. But while stocks rallied, tech stalled out. The Nasdaq hitting a record high before reversing lower as all of big tech is under fire. France says it will tax the tech giants. The White House hosting a summit targeting social media companies. And the rhetoric is heating up ahead of the 2020 election. So can tech keep rallying in the face of these major headwinds or is the group handcuffed? So many options as to where to go. Guy, what do you say? First of all, it's, this is unbelievable. This is like a first. This is a well, actually, this no, year, we, we we have this years but it's, years it's pretty unusual. But it's interesting yeah. that you know Billy Joel, great artist, and you play potentially his worst song. I yep. you're gonna say and that. you're going to say to me, "Thank you." Uptown girl, uptown girl, uptown girl. Excellent That's point. His wife. Terrible Watch song. Well, that's With that said, so can you still buy tech here? I think there's still some names you can buy. Absolutely. I think Facebook, if that's technology, will rally in earnings. I think Pete's been on Microsoft. I think that's fine. But let's look at Micron real quick because I think that's sort of where this battle line is being drawn. That stock was a $32 stock on June 25th when they reported earnings. And the stock has rallied probably 30% since. But then you sort of break down the earnings. Guess what? Earnings were okay, weren't great. DRAM, 64% of revenue was down 45% year over year. And NAND, which is the other 31% or so, down 26% year over year. Say to yourself this, revenues are declining in names like that. Is it being commoditized? Yes. People will point to valuation and say it's still compelling. I say, in a name like Micron, I think you got to start taking some money off the table. I think it's run too far too fast in a declining revenue cycle. For the big tech names such as the FANG stocks, is growth in question with these stocks potentially under regulatory assault? Well, I, I mean, listen, I think you want to look at MAGA, right? You want to look at the Microsoft, the oh, Apple. Oh, sorry, the, I said well, Amazon. Sorry, no, but I, I think that's really bang. the most important thing here because I think that obviously there's a reason why Google is still 13% from its all-time highs while we know that Microsoft makes new highs every day. We know that Amazon is within a percent and a half or two of their all-time highs. And so they're kind of different stories. I mean, listen, if you're talking about mega cap tech, Guy just said he thinks Microsoft's okay. A stock like this where it's so concentrated, there's so much positive sentiment into it as valuation is getting very stretched. I don't think that's a name that you want to be into. I think July, as we get into earnings season, then we get closer to that Fed thing. Mel, you said it yourself, this much anticipated Fed uh, rate cut. You know what I mean? Everything's anticipated at this point. I don't know how you buy anything on the news. I don't know if it's going to be good enough to buy stocks after the report in the next few weeks or you buy the market because we're going to get a rate cut. 
Tim. Well, I know we're having a tech conversation, but we need to have it in the context of today's market, which I think was about a yields conversation. So just more importantly, at a world where yields were going to seemingly zero, uh, the backup in yields and some backup inflation might actually put more pause to the, to, to the tech trade, I think, than even regulation. Otherwise, I don't think there's anything stopping tech. And if you look at actually the triple Qs, which to me are really representative of what we're talking about, that's mega cap tech. They've outperformed the S&P by almost 400 basis points since that June, you know, the low that started in June. That's an environment where you've actually had, you know, all about the Fed. And, and, and I don't see what changes here. Again, you're talking about reasonable valuations in Facebook, Google. Um, you can't say that in Amazon. I can say that certainly in, in Apple. Um, I think you have every reason why people would be running into big cap tech. But when you when you take a look at valuations you're, and you're sort of thinking about the framework in which to value these stocks, do you also put in a question about their future growth depending on what comes out legislatively or from other countries in terms of taxes on revenues and things like that. I mean, those those things are looming and they're unanswerable. So should there be a discount to the valuation? I would argue there is a discount to the valuation already in there. And, you know, when you talk about what I agree with Tim, uh, that Google and Facebook to me are not super expensive. Microsoft, great company. They've been killing it. That is actually getting to be a little bit more expensive. So when you ask the question, is it okay to buy here? If you go home long, it's the same as buying it here. And I am long Facebook. I am long Alphabet. I am long uh, Apple. And I, I think that the today was, you know, started off as Fed, but I think it's already priced in. I'm long, but I'm afraid of this market. I like that we're getting back to fundamentals. We're just starting earnings season. We're going to have a lot of new information in the next week or two or three, I think that that to me is what I'm going to, what I really care about the most. And then second to that is a trade deal. Fed's last. I think when I look at these, I think Facebook still is a buy because of the growth rate that they've got right now. I think Google has gotten punished a little bit too and much. And your view, that growth rate is not threatened by any of these looming I'm not regulatory as concerned about it because I think that handcuffs, for instance, right. on the ability to acquire another company potentially because well, the is too big I already. I think the companies that they have, and if they were forced into a position ever to split up, I think that would be an incredible deal for Facebook, really, when it was all said and done, because some of the parts would be huge, I think. But I think you also have to look at what some of these names, I mean, Microsoft, to your point, Karen, and I I say this as a guy who's owned Microsoft for five years, I'm getting a little concerned. It's pushing towards 30 PE right now. So when I look at that one, have I sold it? No. So to your point, I'm basically buying it today because I continue to own this stuff. Well, you calls against it or... And I do sell calls against it. I also have a call spread in there. But when they have a price target today of 150 that that was put out in initiation... I look at some of that and I'm like, wow, we're really getting in front of ourselves a little bit right now. But Apple's still very cheap. It trades 12, 13 times. Cisco's still very cheap. So some of the old tech, I think, stands out to me. You look at fintech right now. Look at PayPal. Look at Visa. Look at MasterCard. They're all part of the XLK as well. Those are trading at 30-plus times earnings right now. Do they have enough growth really to support that? It makes you wonder, are we seeing certain areas where there's too much the upside, too much excitement where they could pull back very easily. Yeah, I just mentioned Facebook's really interesting to me because in early June, the stock went down 10% in two days when the FTC said that, well, I don't know if it said, but it was reported that they were going to be looking at them and possibly opening up a case against them. It went from 180 to 160. And what has it done since then? It's rallied 25%. And when you think about that sort of move in a little more than a month, you start to say to yourself, wait, I think we're really discounting what the unanswerable questions might be. And I think it's really important to remember that last year when they reported their Q2, this is 
Facebook and they guided down for the second half of the year. Expectations for earnings growth of 20% in 2019 went to zero, flat, year over year, okay? And sales growth is still 24%. But who knows what the fines are going to be, how much they continue to need to have to spend here. And that is my only point. There's a lot of unanswerables. And when you have stocks rallying the way they have in such a short period of time, you don't want to be off sides, especially in front of an earnings event like we're going to get when they report on July 21st. We don't know what their guidance is going to be. You're not, but that's the point, I think, which is why I think Facebook specifically can rally in earnings. And we, this is a conversation we've had now for a while. And I said it last night, said it for the last few weeks. I want to dislike Facebook for a myriad of reasons. But if you just look at what it did technically over the last couple of weeks, that flush down to 163 on huge volume, the subsequent rally leads me to believe, as much as I hate to say it, it probably pushes towards 218, which was the level we saw basically this time last year. All right, we've got a news alert out of Washington, D.C. on the White House's social media summit. Elon Moyes got all the details. Hey, Elon. Melissa, President Trump just wrapped up his remarks at that summit, and he said that he does plan to ask the major social media companies to come to the White House for a meeting sometime over the next month. Now, Facebook, Google, and Twitter did not get invites to the event that was held today. Instead, President Trump met with conservative critics who believe that they have been discriminated against on the major platforms. Trump said that if he invites the major companies, they will have to come. Now, we did reach out to Facebook, Google, and Twitter to see if we could get any more details on this. No words so far, but guys, President Trump saying now that he does want to invite them to the White House. Back over to you. Oh, so finally they get to go to the White House mm-hmm. after all, Elon. Thank you, Elon Moy in Washington, D.C. Is that a good thing that they actually go to the White House or a bad thing that they actually go to the White House? Karen, what do you say? I don't know. I kind of <laughs> think it's a bad thing. I mean, I think, you know, he wants them to be a punching bag for that they're fake news or that they're too conservative or too, uh, you know, they, they uh, discriminate against conservative views. I don't know. It hasn't generally worked out well, but the stocks do seem to trough be- right before they go to oh. for congressional hearings and that sort of thing. This is a little different. Okay. But. Both Mark's at records highs and a Fed cut coming down the pipe. Our next guest says, keep buying stocks. Let's bring in Phil Camparelli from J.P. Morgan. Phil, welcome back. Good to have you. you. Sorry to have to squeeze you in over there. This market's so exciting. We need six of you guys here. It's kind of crowded here. Um, (laughs) Don't fight the Fed. Isn't that what we've been doing strategically since the lows in December when we've rallied 27% or so? It's, It's just incredible, Melissa, to talk about this market here. I mean, we're coming off the best first half in over 20 years, best June in half a century. You have the longest expansion now, so expansion the distance between two recessions that we've ever seen since World War II. So of course you should have a Fed that's tightening rates, right? No. The Fed is easing rates here. And you know, I know Guy's a baseball fan, Reggie Jackson, 1977, the straw that stirs the drink. That's who the Fed is right now. And the don't fight the Fed playbook is have U.S. equity in the, in the portfolio from a financial conditions argument, right? Not necessarily because you believe earnings are going to shoot the lights out, but financial conditions are so easy. But also make sure you get some carrier yield in the portfolio. I can't believe we're saying this again. I feel like it's 2011 all over again. But this is the story. It's the don't fight the Fed story. Now, why is the Fed easing? Is the Fed easing because inflation is slipping a little bit from the 2% down to about 1.6, 1.5, and they have to recalibrate one or two easings? If that's the case, we're going to be right on equities. If the Fed has to go four or five times over the next year, look out below on equities, right? So why is the Fed easing, I think, is really important right now. Does valuation not matter? Um, so if you're using valuation as a, as a, as a, um, uh, uh, a determinant, 
16, 17 times is not expensive on a PE standpoint, forward PE standpoint on, on the S&P. I think trade is going to put some sort of a ceiling on whether investors can pay 18 or 19 times. Mm -hmm. So there is some sort of ceiling on multiple expansion from valuation standpoint, which is where the high yield story comes in. And also, just buy a call on the, on the S&P. If you buy a call on the S&P at the money, you get the upside protection. And as the hockey stick diagram, you limit your downside. So, you know, we look at uh, where interest rates are to figure out what the right P.E. multiple is. Yeah. If interest rates are zero, what is the right multiple for the market? You're going through 20 on that, right? So that's that's. I mean, it's infinite, but I don't that's, know yeah, what the that's or an important, 20. That's okay. an important consideration. But if interest rates are at zero, that certainly means mm -hmm. that you're in a very bad scenario, right? So it doesn't it, you can't really look at it uh, that way. Also, what is the fixed income market telling us at 2%, 210, 195, whatever some people are saying, are we going into recession? We would rather look at credit spreads for that signal. We're at 2% for a lot of reasons. Most notably, the Fed's balance sheet is gigantic and instead of hiking, they're easing and there's no inflation. Phil, I don't think the Fed's going to cut four times, and I don't think you're saying that. I, mm -hmm. But but I, I don't know that the Fed's going to cut two. I don't think they're going to cut two times. Mm -hmm. um, and and I think this is a market that's been priced for at least that. So what is your your sense on that scenario? So it's one meeting at a time. We think they're going to go in July. Okay, chances are 25. they go. They, chances are they go 25 in July, and then it's a cost benefit analysis after that, right? So if the cost of them using another bullet, they have nine bullets, they raise rates nine times. If that cost of using another bullet is greater than the benefit of them being put in a better situation to reach their inflation mandate, they'll go. We think it's one. We think it's one or two, Tim, only because we have a trend one and a half to two percent GDP growth rate on this economy, and they're recalibrating rather than starting. That, an that doesn't time. sound convincing to me to be long equities at this point. We know 100%, I mean, at least according yeah. to Fed Funds Future, 100% chance of a 25 basis point mm -hmm. rate cut in July. The rest of it sounds sort of so, a little, you know, in the air, in the ether. And so with, value, with where we are and where we've come in the markets, what is the balance of the risk reward at this point? Very low in terms of earning expectations. If you, they can, equities can clear a 4% earnings quarter. They can also put a 2% dividend yield on top of that. Maybe a little bit of multiple expansion, which gets you to 6 to 7% over the next year. So this isn't fist-pounding double-digit return on equities here. But on the downside, financial conditions are so easy. Over the last decade, you've been proven that if financial conditions are easy, investors are going to climb the wall of worry. And that's, that's really where we're coming at. It's not GDP growth is going to be 4 and, and equities are going to take off. It's more the fact that the Fed is going to keep financial conditions so easy that the consumer is going to love their mortgage rate. Right, and that's going to keep the economy growing a trend, which then causes a a a, a grinding higher move in the equity market. Phil, thanks for coming by. Good sure. to see you, Phil Camporelli, at the uh, end of the desk. A lot of people I know here. we and Phil um, does a great job. I know we always want to make this more complicated. It has to be. I am guilty of that almost on a nightly basis. Sometimes it's just that easy. To Phil points out, and I'm not suggesting that's uh, a dumb view. That's the right view. But with that said, the warning signs continue to be that Russell can't get out of its own way. You know, the precious metals market within a couple days or so continues to rally. You still have 24 percent of sovereign bonds globally with negative yields. Those are all concerning things. Obviously, equities don't care. Next week and the following weeks, I think for the first time in a long time, earnings are going to matter a great deal. At least from industrials, we've gotten a couple of data points already Not that good. indicate the, in the impact of the China trade war, BASF, and then this morning, Fastenal. Yeah, I'll just say this. So in October of 2018, when the S&P 500 made a new high at 29.45 or something like that, the upside-downside risk-reward was not favorable. It was also the same case um, back in April, okay, when we made a new high just by a squeak, 29.50 or something like that. Now we're at a new high. You can say the same thing, but Phil made one really important point. You can buy a call 
at the money, the SPY that tracks the S&P 500 closed today at 29.50. You could buy the one month out August expiration 299 call for one and a half percent of the ETF price. And when you think about that, so if you're watching the show and you're a trader and you probably also watch OA that Tim was on last Friday, yeah. you know, <laughs> that, that is a really compelling risk Must reward that you get a lot of earnings and you also get the Fed announcement. All right, coming up, Microsoft taking on Slack with its own enterprise messaging service. Is it about to put the tech unicorn back in the stable? Plus, earnings season just around the corner with the big banks kicking off the action. And one top technician says there are three names you should buy ahead of the reports. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Welcome back to Fast Money. Microsoft revealing some new data today about its workplace messaging software Teams and how it holds up to rivals like Slack. Let's get to Josh Lipton in San Francisco with more on this. Hey, Josh. Melissa, Teams is Microsoft's response to Slack, and Satya Nadella's company just released some big new stats showing its traction, saying that the Teams service now reaches more than 13 million daily active users, ahead of Slack's last reported number, 10 million in the three months ended on January 31st. Microsoft providing this chart showing the growth. Microsoft, remember, includes Teams in its Office 365 bundle at no additional charge. As for Slack, it made its debut on the New York Stock Exchange on June 20th, surging about 50% on its first day, but even before this news was down about 10% since then. The company can't comment due to quiet period restrictions, but worth noting, when it reported results back in June, it had 645 paid customers with over $100,000 in annual recurring revenue, an 84% increase from a year earlier, and that large customers accounted for 43% of total revenue. It also stresses how engaged its users are. For example, it's noted in the past that on a typical workday, paid customers average more than 90 minutes using the product. So bottom line, is Microsoft a slack slayer? DA Davidson's Rishi Jaluria doesn't think so. He says slack does have strengths of its own, a strongly liked product, unique features. It's the tech industry's favorite communication tool, he says, and it's a neutral platform, meaning it's designed to work well with any tool, whether that's from Microsoft, Google, or Salesforce. And Jaluria still considers Slack a possible takeover target, too, if CEO Stuart Butterfield is willing to sell, he says. Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton in San Francisco. Dan, how deep is Slack's moat? Well, I think it's deep among that tech community, but when you think about where Microsoft is and you think about the transition they've had to the business, to the cloud over the last you know five, six years since Satya Nadella has really taken over, you say to yourself, they have thousands and thousands of customers that are already there and they can just upsell them this new product. But Slack, I think to Josh's point, or whoever the analyst he was quoting, 
If Google didn't have this regulatory issue, I think they'd be buying Slack and they'd put Stuart Butterfield ahead of their enterprise division and build out G Suite and build out all this sort of stuff. That's coming to a theater near you, I think, when these guys have the government off their backs a little bit. I mean, Microsoft with LinkedIn, I would think it'd be a natural. I mean, absolutely. Right? It could I actually think this looks this really product. bad for Slack. And the reason I say that is they've already passed them in terms of the numbers 13 million versus 10 million, right? So, I mean, that's part of the issue. But I think they've got all the money in the world to be able to throw it if they want to. They can offer it out there as part of the rest of the package. And it kind of reminds me of the days of when Zuckerberg was sitting there and tried to buy Snap. They didn't want to sell. So what did he do? He got Instagram and he immediately attacked and then he went on the offensive there and he's absolutely won that war. I think Microsoft's in the same position now. And by the way, when's Slack going to make money? They don't make any money. When's it going to happen? It's like Uber. It's like a lot of these names where how long into the future, how much money are they going to be burning while everybody's waiting for them to make money and be profitable? Dan makes a good point in terms of swiping at an issue that we talked about in, in the first block of the show, and that is, you know, are the giant uh, tech companies, are they handcuffed from doing these acquisitions, which would have been run-of-the-mill acquisitions in another time, but now they, they can't do it. They're they're going to be looked at as too big. But does it matter? Does it in the case of Microsoft? Does it matter? I mean, they've already turned their boat around. You know, two and a half, three years ago. Yeah, for so an alphabet. For Google's a different animal, I think, and Google's paying for that in terms of its multiple, in terms of the stock performance over the last six to nine months. But Microsoft, getting back to what Pete said quickly, they report on the 18th of July. Pete said again, Cowan initiated today with an outperform $150 price target. Yeah, that might be the case, but. You know, you're looking at it, and you said it. I mean, valuation, you're getting close to 29 times next year's earnings. You probably have, I don't know, 13% EPS growth. At what point is this stock expensive? I think it's getting well, there. Well, it, it's one of the reasons why I think Microsoft has to blow slack out of the water. Because if you think about it, I think a significant part of their business is commoditized and is enterprise, and there's a ton of competition there. So why not have this be an extra, you know, kind of piece of that enterprise package that sets them apart? They don't need to buy them. All right. For more on Microsoft's plan to take on Slack, go to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. First in business worldwide, here's what else is coming up on Fast. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so scared. Yep, that's exactly how we feel. With earnings season just around the corner, and one top technician will tell you the three names he thinks are about to be big winners. In the beginning, there was one. At Gisson of Montreal, Quebec. Well, at Gisson of Montreal, Quebec, you are now one of 300,000 Fast Money Twitter followers. Thank you, Fast Money fans, for your support of America's post-market show. And join us at CNBC Fast Money. And no, the account is not run by an intern. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? 
Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks hitting all-time highs as the market gears up for earnings. Big banks set to report next week along with United Airlines and J&J. Chewy also reporting its first earnings ever. Data from Refinitiv shows while the street has lowered estimates this time around, revenues are projected to rise more than 3%. So will earnings confirm this rally? And I think also another important component of this is going into earnings season. About 80% of S&P 500 companies have already uh, pre-announced. So we'll have lowered expectations going in. What do you think? Well, I mean, to me, the banks are sort of a bellwether, right? I always want to see that. And it's not so much for how they, no particular quarter for the banks is really make or break. It's really, they have good insight into what's happening in the economy. And uh, to me, I know Dan's going to take the other side. I think the valuations are attractive here. Obviously, rates are super low. Although today they did actually seem to turn around. J.P. Morgan, you know, we'll see next week. We'll get all three. J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, City. I'm long all of them. I think the risk reward here in all of them is pretty good. Are yeah, you I mean, the I don't, listen, they all set up great. Ari's going to tell us all about how good they look. Carter was on Goldman. Um, I'll tell you what looks really bad is the KRE, the regional bank. The worst chart like, ever, right? It, it's atrocious. And so I'm just saying that they are not confirming this positive price action. Well, that the, we're talking point. a little bit, maybe not apples and oranges, and that the KRE is made up a lot of other things beside okay. JP Morgan. And, and, and the XLF is the top holding is Buffett's uh, Berkshire. I mean, so, uh, you know, whatever. Pete, I heard you talking on the halftime report about banks and how they haven't really responded to right. Disappointing would be the greatest word I could come up with in terms of the banks. And I've owned them with with Karen for a long time. A lot of the different banks. Right now, I'm really only in two. I'm in Bank of America and Citi. And I bought Citi just the other day in front of earnings because I think that the, the the negative tone that we seem to get for the banks has been so persistent that it almost feels like a situation like we're in a position where whatever they say is going to be better than whatever the terrible expectations are. And I think that's where we're sitting right now with something like City. All right, our next guest is three socks. He says you should buy heading into earnings. Let's go off the charts with Oppenheimer's Ari Walsh. He'll tell you what they are. Ari. Yeah, hi, hi Melissa. So here we are, stock market coming off a new high. We do see the, the potential to surprise to the upside because I think the key point for us, the, the key bullish message is that it's actually that the safety trade is stretch and showing signs of fatigue. And I think there's a potential to get this rotation into cyclicals that could help propel this next leg of the advance. To make that point, let's start with the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield. Now, this move from 3% to 2% more recently, that was the very defensive, counter-cyclical, high-dividend-led rally by utilities and REITs. But now we're at a point with the 10-year right into 2% resist, uh, support 
marking its September 2017 low and showing signs of turning higher. There was a, a nice reversal there. I think there's some additional upside there to about 2.3%. That's where the prior breakdown level c comes in at, where it's moving averages. And I think that sets the stage for more cyclical areas of the market to start to perform better, like the banks. Now, they are indeed a mixed group. I'd be selective here to Dan's point, the regional banking ETF KRE. That's, that's really a function of small cap weakness. You got a lot of smaller issues within there capitalization wise. I want to play it with quality. Stick with quality. Stick with JP Morgan. Here's why. Uh, JP Morgan, here's what you got in, in the charts. It reversed its downtrend in April that it you know, initially broke down last year. And the key level I'm watching is 119. Now, we're still below there, but we can see a little bit of a turn from its 200-day. It's above there. I think if banks work, you have a setup where J.P. Morgan breaks higher. You get that breakout through 119. I see less downside risk here, given it's still a mixed group. If it doesn't play out, this stock has held up better on the downside. Thematically, though, I think you want to stick with high growth, just given this late-cycle economic backdrop we're in. Uh, one name that stands out here as a potential, you know, just starting to turn up again is Square. Now, first for the chart, made it a higher low more recently, starting to turn up from there. And this turn more recently, that broke the downturn that it had been in since uh, it peaking in 2018. Now, this is part of a very broadly strong mobile payments industry. When you got Visa, MasterCard, PayPal at a new high, I think uh, investors are going to be looking for something that's less extended below its prior peak, and you see a resumption of what is still a long-term uptrend in the share price of Square. One more stock for you, an energy stock. Now, truth be told, we are bearish on the energy sector, but I think if you want to play it, you want to be in the leadership of this lagging sector. Midstreams is really where we're seeing relative strength within the energy group. One Oak. Uh, one Oklahoma. Here's what you got to know about this one. Now, more recently, again, turned up from its 200-day moving average, coming into an important test of $71. That was its 2018 peak. But look at this. You, you take that line back. That was also the peak in the stock back in 2014. This is five-year resistance for the stock, 71. If energy's going to work, if you're going to get a little bit of softness in the dollar on a Fed hike, I think you're really set up for a big breakout in the share price of One Oak. That's what I got. Is One Oak really uh, for One Oklahoma? I believe it is. Wow, I had no idea. I always wonder where that came from. Um, serious serious question, though, Eric. Not that that wasn't serious, but we were talking earlier in the show about Visa and MasterCard in the, in the financials. They were doing so well. Pete was expressing some concern over valuations. What do you see in the charts? I, I, these are high, you know, they, they've worked. I mean, you're, you're talking to someone who loves leadership, uh, Melissa. We are momentum investors. These are stocks with a very high momentum. They've been extended the entire way up. Uh, so I would say stick with them. I, I think they continue to do well. Really no signs of topping out. I, I mean, the assumption should be higher lows followed by higher highs. In fact, this is the point in the cycle where a lot of these uh, high momentum names really start to accelerate. We'd, we've done some work on in general being in what we think is a secular bull market to be led by these higher growth companies. They have that tailwind to them as well in this broadly strong tech sector. Uh, we still like those names. All right, Ari, thank you. Good to see you. Ari Wald of Oppenheimer. Guy, where do you Tremendous go? Tremendous work by Ari. Which charts do you so, like? So, OKE, I like the One Oak thing as well. He has a chart up, and I'll tell him, and Ari knows this, this is potentially a huge double top from 2014 at the 72 level. I'd rather buy a break, and I would avoid that. J.P. Morgan's trading at 1.6 times book, almost two times tangible book. In my world, they deserve that premium. I think it's too much. 
But I would look at Square. August 1st, they report series of lower, basically now, higher lows. I think that's really constructive in earnings. I think out of those three, SQ gets you done. Uh, bottom line, I think banks do get a benefit from a yield curve that's now actually steepening. We're above 30 bips, twos, tens. You actually see the Fed cutting, and you see long rates going higher the last couple of days. I agree with Ari, they're going higher on rates. All right, next up, a new and possibly less volatile way to play cryptocurrencies. Plus, would you believe retail hit an all-time high today? We are checking out the big plays on the teen side of the trade mm. and a big shakeup in the healthcare sector today, which is now the worst performer of the year. Dan Nathan dying trades in the options market. See what he sees next on Fast Money, live from Times Square. Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at the health insurers soaring today as the Trump administration scraps a drug plan designed to eliminate rebate insur- rebates insurance companies receive from drug makers. Big pharma stocks like Merck, Eli Lilly, Pfizer taking a tumble on today's decision. But President Trump hinted yesterday there are more proposals in the pipeline to reshape the sector. So where do you place your bets amidst this health care uncertainty? Pete, what do you say? Well, I'm not a very happy camper from the aspect that I'm actually long Pfizer, I'm long Merck, I'm along a couple of these names in that space. But I think that it will create an opportunity, Mel, if this continues to the downside, because they're, they put a pretty good hurting on day one of this news, right? I mean, this is a pretty good shot to the downside. So I'm looking at it saying, you know what, usually there's no one-day events normally, so I'm giving it about two, three days. I want to see exactly what happens out of these, but it feels oversold right now in terms of the reaction for them. On the other side, I think that some of those providers, I think there's plenty of upside still, even after a day like today, whether it's Cigna or some of these other names like United Health. You're, you're in one of them, right? Uh, yeah, I'm an Anthem. I had bought some. I had Anthem for a long time, bought some when the Democrats sort of... Uh, we're talking about dismantling the whole structure and then sold it probably, well, too early. But I was a little perplexed by the action today in that, okay, I get why the PBMs and the insurers were up. They get to keep parts of the rebate. What I don't get is why the administration changed so quickly. And, uh, you know, it seems somebody sort of got to them. Why will that not happen with the drug, with the drug companies as well, right? So I, I agree with Pete. I think that over, I think it was an overreaction. I wouldn't be surprised if they too found a way to keep the current system in place. So I, I, I think that's probably a place to look. So pullbacks in this space would be opportunities then. I mean, if yeah, you think that every I attack so. is eventually going to be defeated. It, well, that's been the way yeah, so far, right? right? That's been the totally way to bet. And uh, so uh, to me, that's where I'd be looking. You know, when you look at big pharma, it it actually should have been an environment, a market environment where they should have outperformed because they're they're great balance sheets. They're they're big dividend payers. It was an environment where people weren't really chasing growth and decent valuations, except for if you look at Lilly and if you look at Pfizer, these charts have been kind of sick for six months. And so if you look at Lilly, 110 on Lilly is really a level. It kind of needs to hold somewhere around here. Um, The the bottom line here is I think the valuations in these companies have remained reasonably attractive in this market environment. And these headlines have dogged these companies for years. So, uh, you know, I, I would not not be getting caught up in that. And ultimately, I think you have to be looking at the pipeline of these companies. That's what's driving the multiple. Oh, pipeline like biotech? I'm wrong all the time, as you know. All the time. Not but we all. get things. If you so were we wrong get things every single time. Every it would be unbelievably valuable. That would be, exactly. would be. It would be. It would be. That would be great. Martin Biggs had a book about a guy like that. work yeah. harder at that to be wrong. <laughs> but we got this one right, and it's UNH. And we've talked about this now for months. Completely overdone to the downside. We said it at the time. 
When it troughed, it was trading at a 13 forward multiple, which historically is at the low end of the curve. Now it's at 260. Everybody's going to warm up into earnings on the 18th. And I'm with Pete. It goes higher. Without question, I believe it goes higher because I don't think the earnings have been affected at all. I think the multiple is too low. In terms of big cap pharma quickly, I agree as well. I think it's ridiculous to sell off. I understand why it happened. But in a, in a week and a half, two weeks from now, I believe we'll be saying the same thing about Pfizer, Lilly, and Merck mm-hmm. that we did about UNH two and a half months Here's ago. Here's a would you rather for Pete and a Jerry. Oh, like yeah. Pete. Oh, Come on, boy. get ready. Yeah, big cap pharma or big cap biotech? Or does oh, it not, not make a difference? No, for me, right? Well, they are becoming closer yeah. and closer. So, but I, I prefer the big cap pharma. I, I, I think there are some great pipelines out there. And obviously, the, the biggest issue that all of them face is anybody who actually goes in the world of Alzheimer's, when they fail, which they do, they get slammed to the downside. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I think the pipelines look very, very solid. All right. Well, there was a surge of options activity in the healthcare space today. Dan's got the options action for us. So what did you see, Dan? Yeah, so it was in the XLV, the Healthcare Select ETF, which a lot of these names that we just talked about are big, big components in it. Um, you know, the XLV um, is only up 9% of the year. And obviously, UNH on a day like today helps out. But all those farm names got slammed, okay? And so today, the activity was really in the put side. There was six times that of calls. And there appeared to be a couple of rolls out of July puts into uh, July 26 weeklies. So today when the stock, uh, the ETF was trading around 93, there was a seller of 5,000 of the July 19th, uh, 92 and a half strike puts and buying 2,500 of the July 26. So just again, extending these time horizon out a week, paying about 61 cents for those. So when I look at a trade like this and I look at the components um, in this ETF, I say to myself, this is likely a holder buying some short-term protection. You get start get this momentum move. Tim talked about Lilly at a level. You know, that's what I think. This stuff has the potential to snowball, especially when there's tape bombs coming out of Washington. There's a one-year chart right there. You see the thing has actually had a nice bounce over the last month. It's consolidated um, a little bit between 92 and 94, which might be one reason for the choice of that 92.5 strike. And then let's just look at the five-year. You know, it has not had the outperformance that some of the other S&P sectors have had here, but it has consolidated between 85 and 95 over the last year or so. So to me, looks pretty healthy. We know there's a lot of good balance sheets in there, but there's also a lot of headline risk in that sector. Uh, But to me, you know, I I look at this activity, I say it's probably short-term protection. All right, more options action on the full show, Friday, 530. Can can we break something quickly? I know we got a, Karen Feinerman's going to be on OA next week. Next week. How exciting is that? I'm I'm thrilled. That's quite a preview. (laughs) That's unbelievable. It's a deep tease, as they call it in the business. Hang in there. She'll be there. Yeah, two Fridays from now. All right, coming up, teen retailer American Eagle jumping on board the CBD craze in a new deal to sell the products in store. But will the millennial bet pay off for investors? We'll discuss. Plus, blockchain capital Spencer Bogart joins us to talk all things crypto after the SEC's first ever approval of a digital coin offering. He'll lay out what that means to the cryptocurrency space. We've got that and much more right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. The cannabis craze is heating up as retailer American Eagle announces its plans to sell CBD-infused body care products in-store through a new deal with marijuana company Green Growth Brands. American Eagle is now the third partnership for the cannabis producer, joining other teen retailers like Abercrombie & Fitch and DSW, who are also planning to sell CBD products as a way to break into the hot new trend. So could this millennial bet on CBD give the retailers a spark, or will the plan just go up in smoke? Karen. <laughs> I got to say, I'm, I'm pretty skeptical of it, mm-hmm. right? I don't know. I feel like it's uh, a craze, as right? as we. I just think retail is so tough right now. You've got to have the right product at the right price and the right merchandising. I don't know that CBD is the, uh, 
you know, is the, the answer. magic answer, right? But, you know, I'm not a teenager looking to be quasi-high, so I don't know. I, I, to me, it wouldn't make me become a buyer of the stocks. <laughs> to be fair, CB doesn't get you don't get quasi-high. Don't, 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 don't get high at all. You don't get high at all. You don't get high at all. A relaxation. For instance, the DSW angle is that for women who wear high heels, it is said that it alleviates some of the pains associated with wearing high heels. No kidding. CBD ointments. <laughs> no kidding. Really? But this seems like a deal that's better for and great for a green growth brand. Well, green growth yes. brands, yeah. you know, frankly, <laughs> who also has a deal with Greg Norman and, and is certainly out there licensing uh, uh, CBD products, you know, it's not been a terribly great run for that stock either. Um, I, I do think you're getting to a place where people are trying to really evaluate, first of all, the FDA still hangs heavy over the entire CBD market. And in fact, it, it affects where a lot of these companies can actually distribute, even now, even post-hemp bill. Um, I, I think you have to be careful on CBD. I, I, I do believe in the efficacy for a handful of uses, which include uh, you know, anti-anxiety or sleep aid or pain relief. And I do think people are finding different ways to use it. I don't think a, a retailer really needs to just jump in there and, and throw this stuff at their counter and think it's going to change their business. Completely model. agree. And I would say that it's great for the distributors, actually, on the other side of it. But I, I look at the rest of them and I'm like, why are they in this? Does this really move the needle, for instance, for some of these retailers? Is this going to really change things in terms of what they do for earnings and everything else? I don't think that moves enough. I think it's great for those that are distributing yeah. it out, though. It gives that much more of, of what they are exposure-wise. But in terms of the teen retailers, I don't see that being anything that really shakes it up. All right. Coming up, Bitcoin's had a wild, wild run this last month, and one crypto expert will reveal what could be the real key to the next crypto rally. And let's get a check on our Kramer cam. And there's Jim. He's getting ready to reveal why FedEx could be bottoming out. And this could be your best chance to buy the stock. That is at the top of the hour. We're live in Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. It has been a wild month for Bitcoin as a cryptocurrency has soared after the unveiling of Facebook's Libra. Now, amid this volatile week with $1,000 price swings, the SEC has cleared the sale of the first ever digital coin offering from a blockchain startup called Blockstack. Let's bring in Spencer Bogart, a partner at Blockchain Capital. He joins us from San Francisco. Spencer, great to have you. Thanks for having me. Um, I want to ask you about Blockstack. We were able to speak to the founder and CEO this morning on Squawk Box, and, and what was interesting was that he used Reg, uh, Reg A Plus in order to do this digital coin offering. Do you think that this reopens the floodgates of capital for these, all these startups out there who might have been otherwise shut out because of the dry up in the ICO market? Look, I certainly think it's a step in the right direction, right? I mean, after years of stonewalling the industry, we're finally seeing some movement from the SEC. Do I think it's going to open up floodgates right now? Probably not, at least not from these Reg A plus approvals. I don't think there's a ton of investors that have been sitting on the sidelines waiting for a Reg A plus approval. I mean, really, this is only a shade lighter than an IPO requirement, so it's still quite onerous on the company itself, but I'm very glad they're able to get it through. So you think most companies won't want to go through that? process because it is onerous. It is, right? So, I mean, you reduce your, your reporting frequency, but I think most of the same content is still required. And we've seen that the impact of being public with companies staying private longer and moving to other jurisdictions. So, particularly the latter within the crypto industry is companies moving overseas. And so, I think we'll continue to see that. There's a lot of talk about Libra, obviously, for everyone from the Winklevoss twins to Jerome Powell. I'm wondering, do you, do you really think that Libra is going to make a difference in Bitcoin? I mean, is it really going to be the on-ramp because so many people have wallets, it'll make it that much easier to go ahead and buy other coins? 
Absolutely. Libra is definitely a huge catalyst. I mean, not just in terms of its distribution, but also in terms of the partners that it's bringing into the ecosystem. I mean, we're talking not just about large technology companies like Facebook, and I would expect others to enter as well, but also financial companies. I mean, the likes of Visa, which also joined. And we recently just um, led a Series B round for a custody company that Visa uh, made a significant commitment to as well. So a lot of the large financial players are increasingly serious about the industry. Uh, hey, Spencer, it's Dan. Um, so back to Libra for a second. You talk about the partnerships that they're having. You know, there's been a lot of criticism about, uh, obviously, Facebook's issues with privacy and dealing with, you know, user data. Will they actually have an outside role or will they broad this out and there will be a real consortium managing this thing? Because I suspect this is going to have a huge to do whether this thing gets off the ground or not. Yeah, look, I think skepticism is always healthy, but I think that Facebook truly has become a, a kind of minority partner of this in a much larger consortium that I think is going to continue to get larger over time. So look, I, I think it's good to be skeptical, but I do think they'll be able to launch it. Will it be exactly as described with exactly the same partners as announced? W remains to be seen, but I think the chances that they don't get something off the ground is extremely slim. Where do you think Bitcoin goes from here? I feel like now, now that we've seen sort of a rally, all the bulls are coming out of the woodwork. They're saying, oh, we're going to reclaim past highs, et cetera. How about you? What's your opinion? Oh, definitely. We're definitely going to see new all-time highs. I think that we'll probably see them over the next 12 to 18 months. Um, and I think that, you know, much larger targets are in sight here as well. I mean, look, when Bitcoin first made parity with the dollar, when it first hit $1, to say it was going to go to 10 was crazy. To say it was going to go to 1,000 was crazy. And I think today when we're sitting here at 10,000, to say it's going to go to 100,000 isn't even crazy. Right. I mean, but the volatility, Spencer, while it attracts people back into the space, investors and the like, I mean, that's the volatility that we've seen just in the past few months is probably one of the number one reasons why the SEC will never approve a Bitcoin ETF. I mean, it, it's, it's sort of a double edged sword. Well, I do think they will eventually approve a Bitcoin ETF, and I do think that'll be a significant catalyst. Granted, some of that is actually being roundabout with, um, with companies launching direct ability to kind of buy Bitcoin, whether it's through Robinhood or whether we're going to see some of the other major brokerage firms, I think, will make announcements over the next few months. So I think that a Bitcoin ETF would still be huge. Um, but the impact is being somewhat mitigated by these alternative efforts. As far as volatility goes, look, yeah, Bitcoin's down some 10% over the past 48 hours, but it's up over 200% year to date. So, I mean, yes, it is a volatile asset. That is a byproduct of any asset that has absolute scarcity, but fluctuating demand, particularly one like Bitcoin that is very early in its onboarding stage. All right, Spencer, great to speak with you. Thank you, Spencer Bogart, Blockchain Capital. Thanks so much. San Francisco. Karen, you're still, you still have some Bitcoin yes, out I do. there. I, floating I mean, out there in the ether. Me, I, yes, holding <laughs> out, you know, last year terrible, this year great. It's, it's interesting, though. It seems to me it's more about the central bank issues around the world, right? And then you see events like Erdogan firing, you know, things like that, right. to me, make the case for it. So, you know, could all blow up again, but I'm staying long. All right. Up next, final trade. You know, a story that didn't get talked about enough today, I don't think, Delta Airlines. That was a great earnings, and boy, I think this thing's going to giddy up towards 70, not too long from giddy up. And? Last night, Pete had three final trades. Tonight, we have three. five people to give final trades. I'll do this quickly. Google. Google. 
Nice. Karen. Look at yes. the camera. Heading into bank earnings season. Right. <laughs> the valuation here as the market well, goes the higher, the valuation <laughs> spread is wider. I like JP Morgan and I love Jamie Diamond. It is confusing tonight because we do have five. <laughs> He's got a got to share cameras. Be nice. Share. <laughs> caring is caring. Dan. All right, let's oh, be fair. Cow. Guy, you don't get nearly as many things wrong as you like to say. You but this UNH thing was really nice. It's a nice breakout of a long range, and I think you probably get a little more to the upside here. Back towards Isn't that nice one at the end of the show we all get together? Yeah. We yeah. hug it out. Hug it out. Hug it out. Just hug, hug it out. 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 Hug it Wrap it up. A lot of people say I'm square, but they're right, and this <laughs> stock's going higher, Mel. All right. That's us for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.